Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Good morning to all of you. Um, For those of you who do not know me, my name is Linnea Barlow. I um, service pastor our 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. service. And it's a privilege to be able to share um, what God wants to speak to us this morning. Um, Luke and myself, the L Squared Squad, are going to um, share this morning. I'm just going to go ahead and pray before we uh, jump in. Holy, Holy Spirit. We uh, look to you and ask that you would have your way this morning. We thank you that your word is alive, living, and active, and that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. We pray, God, that you would just you would just breathe this morning over us, and that we would take in um, what you'd like to say. Help us to learn more about your heart and each other as your church. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to continue again in the book of Haggai. Um, Bron started us off last week, and um, so we'll be continuing on. So just a little recap for those of you who may not have been here. Uh, last week, Bron spoke about the people of Judah, and they are coming back from exile with the blessing of King Cyrus, King Darius, and they're pumped. They're ready to go. They have a generous offering. However, somewhere along the line, they get caught up with building their own houses, and they forget about the work of the Lord. Can anyone say, I've been there? I've been there. We mentioned that there's this gravitational pull towards me and myself, my own stuff, um, that still existed then and even existed now, which brings us to the point that the Bible, like, isn't surprised. Like, what happens now? God's not surprised by um, the things that are occurring today. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we continue to think about the holiness and the sacredness of us as the church being fit together. Not the building, not the services, not the activities, but as the people of God. So today we are going to pick up and we're going to read about the warning of the prophet Haggai. So here we go. Starting in verse 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields, on the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gives message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty their God on the 24th day of the sixth month. So here we have Zerubbabel. 
He is like this chief political leader. And then we have Joshua. He is a high priest. He is a spiritual leader seen among the people. Then we have the remnant of the people. And those are the committed believers. They would be you and I who love Jesus, have been following him. They're getting reestablished in Babylon. And then we have, of course, the prophet Haggai. So the context of the book of Haggai, again, just to recap, it was in 520 BC. And the Babylonian empire had completely fallen and the Persians were now in charge. Cyrus is a king who gives order for the exiles to return. So these are the people of God. And it seems as though he always gives the people of God a plan. And then the plans do not go the way that God wants them to go. So the children of Israel, for example, they spend 40 years in the wilderness. They failed the plan. God rescues them. What a kind God we have. God continued to make plans to rescue them, which is what this situation was. And the theme is that these people and you and I, they just go about their own plan. So we're going to go ahead and break down the scriptures in detail. We'll do our little breakout, and then we'll have Luke have it come to life for us. So are you with me? All right, here we go. Okay, so verse 7. We pick up with Haggai the prophet. He's warning the people. He's giving them direction. Stop focusing on what you're focusing on. It's time to rebuild the temple. So God uses prophets to speak to his people, to encourage, to rebuke, um, to correct us so that we wake up. And he still does that today. Uh, The people wanted to get their homes and their lives reestablished. They were so tired. They had been going through so much opposition. Um, And this can be read in Ezra 4. And in Ezra 4, just a quick recap, is uh, um, the people heard that these guys were going to be, that King Cyrus said, hey, let's go and build my temple. Then the people came and wanted to join them. And they were like, no, we do not want you to join them. This is for us to do. So they actually um, set out people to discourage them to not build, to make them afraid, and even went to the extent where they were bribing officials to work against them and frustrate them so they stopped, so that they would stop. And well, they did stop. Um, so then we have these people. They expected that what they were going to work on, which was planting crops, vines, planting olive oil trees, um, olive trees, their own families to build riches would deliver. And guess what? They did not deliver. All of these seem like harmless, everyday tasks. They're not hurting anyone. They're not hurting each other. However, God did not want them to do this. Why? The Lord asked. He wanted them to go or wanted them to know that because his house and his temple laid in ruin, which is a little play on word ruin, which means cherub in the Greek. So cherub means desolate, dry, and wasteful. While they carry on with their own priorities, he then, because of their sin and obedience to the promise of God, brought cherub, desolation, dryness, and wastefulness to their own circumstances that we list below. Nothing prospered while they neglected their duty to God. And if it even looked like it was going to prosper, God said he blew on it. And it went away. And it wasn't going to succeed. So he brought, he brought cherub over land and mountains. What man inhabits? He brought cherub over their crops, their new wine, their olive oil, which could symbolize their anointing. 
also their livestock, them as people, every single thing that they put their hand to, all because they were neglecting what God wanted them to do. So we learn that God is responsible for bringing rain, for bringing fruitful crops. Nature obeys his will, and due to their disobedience, he withheld from them. Instead of cheating God, they actually were cheating themselves. So we read in Deuteronomy um, chapter 28, verse 22 to 40, God, before all of this happened, gave them a long list of blessings, what he would do if we obey him. And then he also gave them a very long list of what he would do if they did not obey. Uh, This has been a pattern of previous generations of you and I not following what he has to say. But he gives us a clear warning always ahead of time. So I'm going to touch on a couple of those things with you. So he says, The Lord will strike you with with wasting disease, with fever and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought, with blood and mildew, which will plague you until you perish. He's cursing man. The Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder. It will come down from the skies until you are destroyed. He's cursing their land. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. He's cursing their safety. Your carcasses will be food for all the birds and the wild animals, and there will be no one to frighten them away. He's cursing their livestock. The Lord will afflict you with madness, blindness, and confusion. He's cursing their thinking. You will be unsuccessful in everything you do. Day after day, you will be oppressed and robbed and no one to rescue you. He's cursing their labor and anything that they're putting their hand to. Your sons and your daughters will be given to another nation and you will wear out your eyes watching for them day after day, powerless to lift a hand. He's cursing future generations. And lastly, you will have olive trees throughout your country. You will not use the oil because the olives will drop off. He's cursing the oil and again, the anointing on them. These were the curses that God clearly told them would come if they did not obey. But again, he always starts with what good he will do in our lives. So you still with me? We have a few verses left. Okay, verse 12. It's important to point out that even Zerubbabel, who had accomplished so much, again, he is the political leader, and then we've got Joshua, who is the um, spiritual leader. Both of them humbled themselves alongside the people of Haggai the prophet. They took Haggai's words as if they were God's words, and they list, as they listened to Haggai, they were honoring God. So it does not matter our positions, what we have done in the past for God. These two people who were essential leaders did all of this stuff, but they still were doing the wrong thing in that moment. It is a fair warning that no matter what we've done in the past for God, living and having a humble heart will always determine the choices that we will continue to make in the future. Even though these people disobeyed God, he still promised at the end of his covenant, I will be with you. He guaranteed their success. He gave them a word of comfort, which always says, God, um, that's my point. Oh, this was a good one, and I messed it up. He will, it's never too late. It's never too late with God, which is so good. God, through the prophet Haggai, he stirred up their spirits to do the work together and get them moving. So when God wants us to do something, we can normally always rely. He's going to stir us up if our hearts are willing and we say yes to him. This was done within 23 days of, the, of Haggai's first word. One of the most unique parts about this book 
is that these people actually listened. So often we read about these um, prophetic books and stories and these people do not listen. And in 23 days they did and God recorded it. He writes down when we follow him. And it was so significant that he put the exact day that we obey him. So God has a plan for us in order to fulfill his promises. And this passage reminds us God's design has always been to work through his people, us as the temple, to accomplish his will on this earth. He could choose not to use you and I. We constantly disobey him. We constantly don't follow his plan. However, he chooses to always desire that you and I are the ones to accomplish his will on this earth. So we're going to go ahead and do our little breakout, and then we'll invite uh, Luke to jump up. All right, good morning, church. I'll get us to bring us back as we look at going forward and taking this scripture uh, forward. For anyone taking notes... Um, The topic of this next part I want to talk about is jealous much. Jealous much. I think um, we see in that first part of the scripture that that God gets pretty angry. That God gets jealous at his people and sends a famine, sends a drought on his people and he's a bit jealous. And so I think when when God's angry, things that anger God, I want to know why. Because I want to make sure I don't do it. And so we see that all they were doing, as Linnea said, that all they were doing was building their own house. But we know that God's actually for building our house. He says that someone who doesn't build a house and essentially build an inheritance to leave for his kids is worse than a sinner. So we know that he's actually for us building our lives, but he he gets angry when they're building their lives. It, It can seem confusing, but I think that the thing is here that It's not that we were building our house. It's not that they were building their house. It's that they were building their house at the expense of building God's. That's where the issue comes in. And Jesus, just to clarify, when we talk about God's house, Jesus, when he was on earth, um, people said, hey, they call you king. Where's your kingdom? He says, my kingdom isn't on earth. When we're talking about God's house, with God's kingdom, his kingdom, his eternal kingdom that we're going to spend the rest of eternity with when we leave this earth. That's the kingdom I'm talking about when I'm talking about God's kingdom. And so God's kingdom is eternal, and that's the kingdom that he wants us to prioritize. So we can start to prioritize and be about and be for our temporary house that we're going to live in for maybe even a temporary amount of time during our temporary lives, where God's like, this temporary thing, be about eternity, build this eternal kingdom that we're going to spend forever, forever together in. See, I think the issue was that they were building their own house at the expense of God's house and just gave to God's house out of their surplus. And I want to reiterate this. There's a scripture, Luke 21, verse 1 to 4, and it talks about the, the, the widow who gives two gold coins. She gives two gold coins, and there's these rich people that come giving massive amounts to God. And Jesus says, you know what? The widow that only gave two coins, she gave way more than the rich guys. Because what she gave was her all. She was all in. She gave everything and all her trust. And it says that the rich guys, they gave out of their surplus. In another um, version, it says that they won't miss what they gave. They just gave out of their surplus. God wants us to be all in. God wants our all. I think that, I know that's about finance, but when we look at 
I think all aspects of our life, our commitment, our energy, our priority, I think that we can tend to do this, that we just give to God out of our surplus. We give to God out of our leftovers. Even when we look at our week, Monday to Sunday, actually church on a Sunday, the, the day of the first day of the week is actually Sunday. And it was meant so that we put the first day aside and be about God. The first day of the week, we set aside, we have church, we, we, we think about God and we, we worship Him for the first day of our week. But we as a society have already changed that in our own mindset. Monday to Friday is our week and then the weekend is at the end of the week and we give our weekend what's left over after our Monday to Friday week of work, week of life. The weekend gets our leftovers. I think that's an attitude that sometimes we can carry and tend to just fall into a rut of doing our own life and God gets our leftover. But God wants all in. doesn't want a half-hearted one foot in. He wants a committed heart. A heart and soul all in trust in Him. A trust and faith in Him and eternity so much that we know that building our eternal kingdom is actually what's, what's best for us. Is actually going to benefit us more than building our own temporary house. He's jealous for us. He's jealous for us. He's jealous for our, our all-in love and attention. He's revealed that through Scripture time and time again. I mean, in this passage we see he's, he's so jealous for us that he will make sure things happen that doesn't work out when we're not chasing him. God's jealous for us and he wants our all. So the first thing that we learn is to put his kingdom first. I think that's the first learning from this passage. And before I talk more about that, I want to... I want to say 10 promises. This is just 10 out of many promises that God promises to give us when we put him first. He promises us rest. He promises us life. He promises to strengthen us. He promises to give us joy, to deliver us, to give us wisdom, to give us hope, to give us fulfillment, to make us righteous, to give us his love. These are just some of the promises God promises us. That's how jealous he is for our love and our all in. This is what he promises us when we chase him, we're all in for him. And so I've talked about jealousy and you might be thinking, yeah, but God, jealousy ain't a good look on you. Jealousy usually isn't an attractive quality. You're jealous, like, come on, God, jealousy, really? But when we put this in perspective, this is the God who created the universe. This is God who created me and you, created this beautiful day, created the stars, the heavens. He created it all and he cares and loves about us so much that he's even jealous for us. That's how much he loves and cares about us, that he's jealous for, for your love and affection and time. And that's put in perspective. I'm like, yeah, that's an attractive quality. God who created the earth is jealous for me. That's incredible. That is attractive. That is awesome. When we put it in perspective, it is an awesome thing. And it's proven time and time again in the Bible, uh, this idea that he adds to us and he promises and he gives us these things when we're chasing him. We see it in the Bible. We see it in that passage that, they, that when they're, they're doing their own thing and building their own house, then not only does he say, oh, when you follow me, I add these things to you, but it says in that scripture that when they're trying to chase and, and build their own house and do things on their own, he makes sure that we don't get those things. He makes sure. He sends a famine. He's like, no, he's got it wrong. Chase me, follow me. This is the right way to do it. He even makes sure that we, we don't get these fulfillments when we're trying to do it on our own and chase God in our own way. And I've seen time and time again in my own life and in my family's life, uh, our senior pastors, me and my wife moved here about a year ago and, 
And one of the things that we loved and part of the reason why we moved here is our senior pastors, Daz and Bron, chase God and chase, uh, chase the fulfillment of God-given potential in their lives and chase God's will for their lives more than anyone I've seen. And you know what I've also seen? God add to their lives more than anyone I've ever seen as well. Literally being blessed with a house, car. God's built them up, not just financially, but give them joy. They're a family that you just want to be around, filled with, with life and, and, and blessing and joy. I've seen it again and again in my own life. As I put God first and I chase Him, the more I press in and the, the further I step into God's will for my life, the more I'm fulfilled, the more I feel God's joy and peace over my life, the more I see God add and build up and prop and build my house and my life and my family, the more I step into Him. I've seen it time and time again. I can promise you, as it says in the Bible, that we do not come second by putting God first. And it's all easy to say, but it's not easy to do that. It's actually a wrestle. And I know that even our senior pastors can find it a tension at times because God has given us things to be faithful to in our life. He's given us a family. Some of us careers, some of us businesses. He's given us things in our lives to be faithful with and to work on and, and, and to build. But he also calls us to put him first and make sure that, that God's always first in our life. So it can be a wrestle. And I don't think that there's a, a formula, uh, five steps to achieving a perfect balance of having God first in your life and being faithful with what he's given you. If you have that, write it. I'll buy it. That's a good book. <laughs> I, think the, I think the way to achieve that is to make sure that that wrestle is at the forefront of our mind, to ensure that there is a wrestle, that we're saying, is God first in my life? Having wrestle and tension with that in our lives, going, God, I'm being faithful with this, but God, and asking God's help to make sure that he's number one in our life. And I think when that's our focus and that's our intention to wrestle with that, I think that's when we know that we're somewhere in the ballpark of getting that right. And so we put God's kingdom first. First, we put God's kingdom first. And so those 10 things that, that I spoke about, 10 promises that God gives us when we're, when we're chasing him, I just wanted to ask quickly about how many of these we chase on our own. How, how many things are you doing to chase these promises in our own strength or in our own way? How many things are you doing to be happy or filled with joy by feeling like you're coming up short? How many things are you doing in your life to be righteous, trying to do the right thing to be righteous, but stuffing up and falling short? Where are you seeking out love or care and attention by feeling like your life is void of it? And that brings us to our second learning from this passage is that it's on God when we give it to God. It's on God when we give it to Him. All these things are promised to us when we put him first, when we're chasing him and we surrender our lives and give our lives to God. God, your will be done. I'm chasing you. That's when we put it on him. That's when it's on him. When we put it on him and we're chasing him. So many times we try to do it our own way. We try to build a house and then we want to blame God when it fails. We're trying to do it in our own strength. God's love, God's grace and his sacrifice, yeah, covers our sin, but there's consequences for our choices. That's why God leaves us the Bible. It's a, it's, a, it's a whole book about how to live your life and what choices to make. Because he cares and doesn't want us to have to live with bad consequences. He's covered, he's covered the cost of sin, yes, but there's still consequences. That's, if, if there wasn't, there would be no need to read the Bible. God's covered it. God's covered our sin. We can do whatever we want. No, there is still consequences. God's like, no, I want you to have the best life. I want you to not have to deal with these consequences. He wants to give us the best life. 
And so when we give it to him, when we're chasing him, that's when it comes through. So many times we go about life our own way, try to achieve things in our own strength. We don't put God first. We don't allow room for God to move in our life. We, we don't chase him, don't give him control, yet we still blame him when things don't go right. So that's the second learning, that it's on him when we give it to him. And that brings me to one of the last learnings that I think that we find in this passage. Linnea spoke on it um, for a short bit, and that's that it's on God, and God gives us a rest, and God stirs us up. So I know that there's sometimes we get one foot in the door. We get one foot in the door, and we start chasing, yeah, God, I'm going to chase you. And then we don't feel that love. We don't feel God's joy and peace in our life. We, we take a step in, and we're like, oh, like... God, it's not working out. We feel like our world's still falling apart around us when we've got one foot in the door. And I think the biggest temptation there, and a lot of the time our response, is to take our foot back out. I put my foot in and, no, oh God, I don't feel like you're feeling me and, and building me up. And, and God, I, I just, I'm not feeling your love. And so we take a step back. And, and what's clear in this passage and what's clear, evident, what the experience in my own life is that when we're at that point and we have a step, a one foot in, our response should be to just take another step in. That's what his promise is over and over again as we keep pressing further in, keep pressing and taking another step into God and giving him control. That's when he, we receive these promises that he's given to us. I can attest to you in my life is one of the most true things that don't come second by putting God first. He enables us, I think that's when he enables us to see what, what he sees. When he stirs up in our heart a passion for the things that God cares about, that stirs up a passion for the broken and the lost that are hurting and enables us to see it and, and he stirs up our passion that keeps us going. Because sometimes that we can, we can feel like, oh, I just get numb to it. I don't know. I know sometimes I feel like I just get in a rut. And I'm like, oh, what's going on? God's like, just take another step. Keep going. Trust me. He, he stirs it up. We see in that scripture, it says that God stirred up a passion in his people. God will stir it up in us. We just keep stepping in. And God stirs it and enables our heart to be broken for what breaks his. So the last thing I wanted to do today is encourage you that if you're in that spot, if you feel like you've got a foot in the door, you're in, but... You don't feel like God's promises are coming through. I want to encourage you, just keep stepping in. That's the, that's the response there, not to take a step back, but to step further in. God's promises are yes and amen. And when we put him first and chase him, he adds and gives and blesses our life. So I'm going to pray quick uh, to, to, to wrap um, the message, and I'm going to invite Pastor Daz up for an interview. So um, if you pray with me. Dear God, thank you for your word, Father. Thank you that you do care and love us, that you are this incredible God, the creative universe, but still you care about the details and intricate things that we chase in our life, Lord God. I thank you that you stir us up, that you lift us up, that it is on you, Lord God, that when we give you control, that you do provide and care as a good father and you care and look after us. I just pray, Lord God, that you do stir up your will in our hearts, Lord God. Break our heart for what breaks yours. Let us see what you want us to see, Lord God. And I just pray that you bless and, Lord God, lift and strengthen us as we continue to do your will for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey again. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? 
To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au. And thanks again for listening.